I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Nungabuja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 86. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Ian Collins. Ian has spent his career working with organizations on some of the riskiest frontiers to build more resilient and reliable systems that keep planes in skies, prevent oil rigs from blowing up, nuclear power plants from melting down, getting people home safely to their families and keeping the environment free from harm. What he has discovered is that similar principles that create the conditions for safety in workplaces can be just as applicable to creating safety in relationships. He now helps men learn the tools and resources to create trust and safety, taking their relationships from struggling and stagnant to being passionate, healthy, balanced and loving. And you can find Ian on Instagram at Ian P. Collins or on Facebook at IP Collins. And the two of us in this episode, we talk about uh, Ian's work and how he translates occupational safety principles into practical relationship advice. And we also discuss what creating safety and holding space looks like in a relational as well as a sexual context. We talk about masculinity and femininity and uh, how Ian's work overlaps with my own work as a uh, sexuality professional. Super interesting stuff. And I had a lot of fun chatting to Ian. Um, It was just a genuine dude and I had a really good time having a conversation with him. So uh, hopefully you can tell that I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to it. Today, I'm going to be discussing an activity that some of you might find embarrassing. However, I assure you, there is nothing to be ashamed of. Doesn't seem to me that you have to go straight to intercourse or that you have to go all the way at all. You can't have sex in a good relationship without both partners being involved in contraception. Ian, thanks for joining me, man. And, and uh, the the way that I start the podcast is with an invitation um, rather than a question. And it's an invitation to to you to share about who you are, what it is that you do. And I'm also really interested in what you're passionate about as well. So that's my open invitation to you, man, for uh, the next couple of minutes. I'd love to give you to the floor um, for you to share. Right on. Thanks, Cam. It's great to be here. And so my name is Ian Collins. I am a modern masculinity coach, and what that means is that I I coach men primarily around how to create safety inside of relationships with that that understanding that as men, one of our our primary roles is to really create that safe space for our our partner to to flourish. How I got here is a a quite a long and winding journey, and and I, I, I think it started around 19 when I actually got the opportunity to go and walk on fire with Tony Robbins and it sort of started me on this path of of self-discovery and personal development and straight out of university went and worked for one of the largest training and development companies in the world and became passionate about making a difference with people whatever that sort of looked like and being from Perth uh, in the early 2000s WA started going through a resource boom and the opportunity to go out in the mines or oil rigs presented itself you know, just to go out there and make a quick buck. And I went out there and started to, I was, I became a driller's offsider on a diamond drilling rig. And I was, I'd never done anything like that before. I was absolutely clueless. And to the point where it took me about a week to figure out we weren't actually drilling for diamonds, but it was a reference to the drill bit that we were using. And I, I, I had no idea what I was doing, but I started to really enjoy it. And and came close to getting killed myself a few times, um, not by my own fault, but uh, just you know, it's a it's it can be a dangerous industry, and and saw some pretty significant incidents uh, and got hurt myself. And eventually, the as much as I liked mining, it was a 
it's a single man's game. You, you work so many days and weeks away. And so I took the opportunity to, to go offshore and, and work on offshore drilling rigs because that presented equal time. So whatever you worked on the rig, you had off. And it was great. You know, we flew to work in a helicopter and, and it was tough work and long periods away, but the pay was great. And worked my way up to, to drilling crews and was sort of on, on that path when I, when I saw someone get killed and, and that really had a significant impact on me. And so I changed, I thought, you know what, I can make more of a difference in, in the safety space here. And so I changed tack and, and did all these qualifications in, in health and safety. And for me, that represented the, the opportunity to help people you know, increase the likelihood that they're going to get to go home safely to their families. And, and that became my biggest passion. How do we create safe environments such that, that you know, people can come to work without fear that, that they're not going to go home? And have been doing that for about 12 years and, and specialising more and more in, in a science known as human and organisational performance, which is fundamentally about understanding how and why people make mistakes and... With the with the the basic understanding that you and I are human beings and we're going to stuff up, and okay, so if we're going to stuff up, we want to either try and prevent that from happening by giving people tools to to do that, or if we can't do that, let's at least reduce the likelihood that it's going to occur. And if we can't do that, let's build systems that can absorb the cost of an error, so one mistake doesn't turn catastrophic. You know, so we we reduce the significance of the mistake. And I've been consulting in that space for about seven or eight years now, all around the world, flying to all sorts of different places. And yeah, I'll be in Africa one week, the, the US, Europe, Asia, just all over the place. And, and I've loved that, that side of the, the work that I do in engaging with people of, of different cultures, backgrounds, all sorts. And COVID obviously changed all that with the inability to travel. And what I started to notice was that a lot of the principles that we teach to create both physically safe work environments uh, in helping you know, create that create safety and also psychological safe environments where people feel comfortable speaking up, you know, they're, they're okay bringing concerns, you know, sharing bad news. A lot of those principles that we help to do that can be just as applicable inside of, of relationships. And, and this really came to the forefront for me when uh, my, my recent partner, my, my partner, Nora, she's, she, just, she wrote a book called Confident, Sexy and Wildly Free and, it, and it's become a, a bestseller and, and she embodies it. She, you know, we'll, we'll walk around, um, you know, we walk around Bali here where we live and, and people turn their heads. You know, she's just magnetic in that sense. And so I asked her, well, what is it about me that, that you find so attractive? And she said, it's, it's, you just represent safety. You represent safety for me such that I can be my fullest self-expression. And, and that's when it really started to dawn on me that all this work I've been doing out there in industry to help create safety is, is just as applicable inside of relationships. And so that's, that's you know, on top of the work I still do in industry, uh, a lot of the work I'm doing now is, is really helping men create safety inside of their relationships because we're just we're not taught how to do that on a consistent basis mm, i totally agree with you man and, and thank you so much for sharing that that kind of journey dude and i love and i've I said this to you before but i love the translation of the stuff that you've learned from industry into relationship and now into into men's work um i do have a question um which is like i guess the question is boiled down is like why you like what you know what was it about you personally, just on your own reflection, that like after seeing the, I guess like the death of a, a coworker, which I presume was 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 witnessed by by other people, what was it that that sparked in you to go down this route of safety? Like, why didn't someone else do it? What was it? What was it about you that that kind of spurred that on? I think a lot of it has to do with personality. So my my personality is, is young would call it the relator supporter. And so it's the other models would call it the diplomat. I've always had this, this wanted desire to, to make the biggest difference that I can. And, and it's taken me to some pretty interesting places. So for example, I I teach business in I teach entrepreneurship in North Korea as a way to try and help develop a healthier civil society there. Now 
you know, who goes to North Korea, let alone who 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 pays to go there to go and teach business. It's it's a incredible experience, as you can probably imagine. And it's all comes from this place of just I want to make a difference. And whatever that expression is, you know, for for a long time it's been it's been safety. And and in fact it was it wasn't even a co-worker. It was it was uh, in a shipyard up in Singapore. The the person I, I saw got killed, and he was a I think he was from India. Uh, they they go there. They work many many months away, and and he fell off about ninety feet of scaffolding. And I remember just you know just seeing the the thing that shocked me the most about it was the response. And I remember the ambulance coming in, picking him up, taking him away, and then the whistle blew, and everyone just got back to work and. And, and when I was sharing it with my colleagues, it, rather than there being any sort of shock, it was, oh, yeah, I've seen this death and, and this death. And, and they all just started recounting their death stories that they'd seen in industry. And I thought, what, what, why is that okay that, that people can come to work and not expect to go home? And, and that just didn't sit well with me. So that's been you know, a really big expression of mine for you know, about, about 12 years now. How do I increase that likelihood that people are going to get to go home safely but it all it all comes from that place of just just wanting to make a difference yeah yeah it sounds to me like there's also maybe an element of like unacknowledged trauma as well for for like obviously for the the people that have had serious injuries and and their life and their families but like also for people that have witnessed that as well and um and you know that you shared that they kind of like nonchalantly just started talking about these, you know, these um, like witnessing deaths in, on site or you know um, in the workplace and and like that, like you said, like you said, it just kind of like baffled you and like how are people just kind of doing this um, off the cuff and it's just almost like that disassociation of like oh okay that's just kind of happened and and the whistle's blown and we're just going to go back to work and not process it and not deal with it and not allow ourselves to kind of grieve and feel it. And, um, and so I'm wondering, has that been, has that been a part of your journey? And is it something that you also incorporate that kind of, I guess, like trauma processing? Uh, it, it's, it hasn't so much, but it's, it needs to be. And, and this is where we start getting into that. The whole world of, of psychological safety is, is, is something that's becoming more and more present in, in heavy industry that need to create a space in which people can safely share whatever's going on for them. Now that that could be, you know, expressing emotions or grief or, you know, for for so many years in, in my career, they, they just wasn't really given that opportunity. Uh, and companies, you know, they they did. You know, some of them were a bit more proactive in that sense, but for most of them, there there really just hasn't been that opportunity just to process. You know, whatever someone might have might have seen, uh, at least not typically out at site. It, it may happen, you know, back in back on land somewhere or back in the city where there's more resources. But you know, it's it's certainly been a missing in my experience up to date. Mm, yeah, man. And and if I like relate this and try and tie this into relationship, which is kind of where I want to go with, uh, with our conversation. You know, I kind of I I can just reflect on my own experiences of like something triggering me or something just like you know bringing like an inner wound out and i like and experiencing that kind of viscerally experiencing it but then kind of like using that analogy of blowing the whistle and just getting back to work i i've i've done that i've been like okay cool that's happened i haven't processed it i haven't allowed myself to feel it i haven't expressed it uh i've just been like yep it's happened and okay, now I've just got to get on with the job. I got to get on with the relationship. I got to get on with my work or, or I just go on to the next thing without really fully acknowledging it and fully, um, not even fully experiencing it, just being like, whoa, that's there. And then just being like, okay, I've just got to like push it to a side. And and so it's taken um, a while for me to like really honor something that comes up for me, whether it's a, you know, some wounding or a trigger or, you know what, specifically now that I've got a son, um, it's been a big learning cauldron of like how to do that on the fly. Excuse me. Um, and, and so I'm wondering is like part of that psychological safety that you're referring to, is it like in a relationship, is it giving you space
um, part is part of it giving it a space to to acknowledge when you've been triggered or when something's kind of come up and, and allowing that to be processed? Yeah, definitely. And and particularly inside of relationships. And, and the same could be said for, for industry. It's about, you know, if we, if we think about it from an industry perspective, it's about leaders of the organisation creating that, that opportunity and that space for people to then share. And at the same time, it's about people's ability to actually do that. And, you know, the, it's exactly inside of relationship as well. It's it's one partner being able to hold that space and, and you know, create that container in which the other one can freely express whatever's going on. And at the same time, it's about the person actually being able to tap into and tune into whatever is going on. And most, you know, typically women are much better at this than men because we're, I know when I grew up, it, it I, I didn't learn how to express emotions. In fact, I, I suppressed them because I'd hear things like, I remember playing playing footy and I got, for some reason, one of the opposition just punched me in the face. And you know, I, I, I don't know how old it was, maybe 11 or 12. And this, this feeling of just wanting to burst into tears, I couldn't believe that someone had just punched me. And I, you know, I could feel the, the tears swelling and, the, and the, the runner came on. He's like, don't cry, you know, real men don't cry. And it was just this, you know, feeling of having to suppress whatever's there for me. And, and we take that on. And, you know, it's no surprise that places like Australia where, you know, we're, we're not taught how to express emotions. There's, there's, we got a problems with, with addictions and, and with suicide. And, and a lot of, you know, another example of some of the work that I do is, is there's a great organisation in Western Australia called Zero to Hero, which is all about empowering young people to be mental health champions and reduce, you know, do work with them to, to really help teenagers particularly be able to express themselves and express whatever's going on for them so we don't we don't you know we can help them develop those emotional intelligence skills at that age so it doesn't turn into things like suicide later in life you know we need to equip people particularly men with those tools to be able to express whatever's going on for them yeah yeah i um i resonate dude and and that's been my own lived experience as well like i was uh, i remember times being told not to cry i remember times being told not to show a particular emotion um it's uh, it's very prevalent in the work that i do with men with regards to like their sexuality like tapping into that and feeling pleasure and feeling arousal and feeling all these things a lot of guys just go through the motions and and just do what is quote unquote expected of them um and so I'm wondering what have you come across in your work uh, and, in, and in your own personal life with regards to strategies for tapping in firstly to emotions and allowing yourself to feel because, um, you know, that's, you know, it's all well and good for us to say, yeah, you got to express and share your emotions. A lot of guys, they hear that, but they go, well, I don't even know how the fuck to get to my emotions in the first place. And so I was wondering if there was some strategies that you knew um, about with regards to that. In, in terms of, in industry, it's, it's a bit fewer and far between. I, I can tell you what, you know, personally has helped me and and maybe just to give some context to that as well because I certainly haven't been great at it. Uh, I'm, I'm by nature a very emotional guy. It's just it's just part of my personality. And it's I've always, I haven't always, but for a long time really struggled to, to just express whatever's there and, and bottled it up and eventually it'll, it'll come out in some certain way or... I would typically use alcohol as a lubricant to, you know, and that would just help me express whatever was going on. Now, okay, great. It's not the healthiest way, but it, it worked at the time because that's 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 all I knew. And for me, it actually took the breakdown of my marriage. I was married for nine years to really start to do the work uh, to 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 tap into what's going on inside. And you know, we tried a lot. Uh, during the marriage, like we, we gave it everything we, we had. But because I was working away so much, um, you know, there was one year we were together. We, we were only together maybe 60, 70 days in the year. And, and now that's very hard to really um, create safety. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, that, that was where the breakdown was and, and we just grew apart. And it was in the grieving of that relationship that, I went inside and, and it's what largely led me to, to move to Bali to, to do that, that inner work that I was just unable to do, you know, inside the relationship. So just, you know, things, 
things like yoga, I'm, I'm, I'm by no stretch of the imagination a, a yogi. In fact, my, my physio once called me the most inflexible human being he's ever met. Um, but it's amazing just how much emotional stuff we carry. In, in for me, it was my hips, and so just just even just releasing that a little bit through through stretching was significant for me. Uh, breath work, qigong, reiki, all these things that that help me start to understand energy flows. You know, a, a huge one for me, uh, which which speaks a lot to your world, is is understanding and and being able to circulate you know, chi energy and and particularly when it comes to, to sexual performance and to, you know, learn and and really start to practice and and be on that path towards mastering, you know, full body non-ejaculatory orgasms was massive for me. And it it really because you have to go inside, you have to be present to what's going on in your body and really feel into that. Um yeah, that that was that was significant for me. So so those are some of the you know practices that that I started to really learn and understand and and really harness that that have helped me tune into what's going on in my body and then be able to express that. Yeah, it's very similar for myself, man. There was um, I was uh, I've shared this a bunch of times. I was um, playing soccer over in America and I seriously fractured my lower spine. And as part of my rehabilitation, I was. Uh, introduced to Pilates and then through Pilates, I was introduced to yoga through yoga, meditation and, um, you know, tantric practices and things like that. But there was times when I was doing a yoga class or a Pilates class and focusing particularly on my lower back, on my pelvic floor, on my hips, on my groin, um, that general area of my body that I just had this surge of emotions. And I was like times that I just burst out in tears halfway through a class or I had this like rage if I was like trying to hold a particular pose and it was like quite difficult for me, then I would just get so angry. And, you know, I realize now, I didn't realize this back then because I was in my late teens and didn't understand it. But I realize now what was happening was all this tension in my body was stored emotions, the shit that I'd suppressed and not allowed myself to feel and just kind of push down and put a, put a lid on was finally allowing to be bubbled up to the surface. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I agree with you that they're fantastic modalities for tapping into your emotions firstly. Um, but I, and, and I'm a big believer in this, they've got to be um, paired with, or they have to be complemented by like emotional regulation tools. Because if you're just doing those, doing those things and allowing yourself to tap into those emotions, which is great, but if you haven't been taught, like we mostly haven't, how to then regulate those emotions and express them healthily and let them move through your body, then they're just going to pretty much what happened to me is just they're just going to burst to the surface and you're just going to like they're just going to come forth and you're going to have these random moments in time where you just cathartically express an emotion and it might be super inappropriate to do that. So I'm a big believer in emotional regulation Um which is not suppression, it's not repression, it's not you know putting it to the side, it's like allowing yourself to fully feel it. And the term that's often used in the spirituality community is sublimation, you're transmuting and sublimating. Um, but I like the, the term regulation um, because I swing a little bit more to the, uh, the, the academic and psychological side of things as opposed to the spiritual side of things. But they're essentially the same thing. And I think even Jung used the term sublimation anyway. So um, there's, there's a, a big crossover. Um, so I was wondering, is that like does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. And and Goleman, Daniel Goleman, when he wrote Emotional Intelligence, actually used regulation inside of his emotional intelligence framework, where we, we you know self awareness, and and it's you know be, becoming aware of of you know our tendencies, whatever they may be. But at the end of the day, we we have to manage them. And and he used that term regulation uh, as the ways to to manage behavioural tendencies, emotional tendencies. Um, to make sure they don't spill out or, or you know, come out, come out at an inappropriate time or, you know, something I've certainly been guilty of, not for a very long time, but hitting that point where, where it just pops and it just reacts in a, you know, completely inappropriate way and, and have a bad outcome and regret it. Um, I've certainly, you know, I've certainly learned to, to manage that so it doesn't ever get up to that point anymore. Um, so that, and that was his framework. The other part of his framework was then about understanding others. And then how do you then re help each other regulate, which, which speaks to that relationship? How do you, inside a relationship, you know, how do you help one another to, 
to be able to express what's going on, to manage, you know, whatever's going on emotionally inside of, of you know, being a safe place to be able to do that. So, yeah, it definitely resonates with me. And, and I feel like that's part of like creating safety is like this element of trust, right? Trust that like if we, like, let's use a heterosexual example here where um, we're both in relationships with women where like our, our partner, they have to trust that if we're, like holding space for them for example that if something comes up for us we're not gonna it's not gonna like take over right it's not it's not gonna like we're not gonna be at the beck and mercy of that emotion or that feeling or that sensation that arises in us but we can hold that for ourselves and we can regulate it in the moment to keep on continuing holding that space it's not going to detract from our ability to kind of be there creating that safety for our partner is that fair to say Oh, big time. And and I'll give I'll give you an example because this happened, you know, just a couple of nights ago where uh for 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 whatever reason, uh, my partner and I body heats are very different. So um you know, through the night I was hot and it and it kept her awake. And when we woke up in the morning, you know, rolled over and and she said, I just want to express what's going on. I said, Great. Uh, she said, I'm I'm feeling really resentful towards you right now. Now in the past, I probably would have reacted or tried to solve it or, or, or done something, but I know that's that's not what what is going to create safety. And it's like, okay, great, you know, tell me some more about that. And then it just gave her the space to share, you know, what had happened through the night, which I had no idea about. Um, but it, 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 you know, it, it created this because she didn't get any sleep. It created this this sort of feeling of resentment, and, and it was directed towards me. Now that I gave her that safety to. To just express that, guess what? It dissolves. And but had I done anything other than that and tried to fix it, and and as men again, we're we're so wired to want to try and fix stuff. It's just it it is in our wiring, and it's something we have to regulate and manage for ourselves. You know, just giving that opportunity to be heard so often, it it can really help to dissolve whatever's going on. So yeah, it's yeah, definitely again resonates with me a lot. And an example that I think of, man, to speak a little bit more into this is like um, in the sexual context is like if your partner shares something with you that um, like, for example, like a particular position or a particular thing that you're doing to them that they don't actually particularly enjoy and they say to you, hey, I don't actually like that. That's actually not very pleasurable for me. Can you stop doing that? And uh, like I know because this is this was true for me and I've spoken to a lot of men about this when it comes to receiving that feedback solicited or solicited or otherwise because it, tr- it triggers that ego of like, Oh, we, we need to be good at sex. We need to, you know, we need to, we need to know what we're doing. Um, and we need to be the person that's in charge, right? That's a very strong narrative for a lot of men in a sexual context. They react to that. Right. And it's a, and it can, almost sometimes be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to like, oh, well, then fuck you, then I won't, you know, we won't have sex then or, you know, um, and uh, or, or some other general reaction. G- generally, there's like some some um, either like frustration and anger or which is a socially sanctioned way for men to express emotions, right? Um, or the other is um, like almost guilt of like, oh, fuck, like, I like I hurt you or oh god like I'm not I'm not enough or like I didn't do the right thing and like oh like almost repenting like oh sorry fuck like I fucked up and um and um and again that's a uh, not necessarily something that a lot of men express in a um public setting but I don't I know a lot of men express that in a in a kind of intimate sexual setting um because they're very much invested in sex being quote-unquote successful uh, and that means that nothing can go wrong so as soon as like some sort of feedback comes and they said they say that there was uh, something that they didn't enjoy from their partner then it, it can kind of trigger those stories so um yeah being able to like receive feedback like that and hold it and be like okay cool like i'm that was a surprise to me um i didn't realize that but thank you for sharing right that's just something i always tell guys to do is thank their partner for sharing something um regardless of whether it stung your ego or not uh and um and then from there like does like what, what's it like what's a course of action that you can take and that action could be no action at all right that's still that's still you doing something and i oftentimes try and frame it that way for guys because they tend to be like you said very solution oriented and want to try and fix things and so 
I'm like, okay, well, let's let's shift from solution and fixing things to action, which is a little bit more vague. And then within the framework of, okay, you know, what action can you take? Or how can we action this? Within that is you don't necessarily have to. Like no action is still you doing something and it's still you taking action. So um, that's my, that tends to be one of my approaches, I suppose, to that particular um, scenario. And is that... Um, just from your own experience, man, is is that uh, is there other ways of going about that? I'm gonna, I'll take it to industry to because there's there's again, you know, just keep. I, I like to just keep drawing those parallels, and um, we we have a saying that the response matters, and 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 it matters a lot, and you know, in the aftermath of something going wrong or having some sort of bad outcome, how an organization or how a leader responds to that tells you everything you need to know about the culture. And in the same way, you know, someone gets some feedback inside of the relationship and how they either respond or react to that tells you everything you need to know about the health of that relationship. And, and so if we have a bad outcome, you know, someone gets injured or there's some spill to the environment, for example, if, if the first, if the first action is, okay, who did it? You know, what are we doing to them? that's a culture that is one of full of fear and, and mistrust and, and you're going to keep having incidents. We, we see it all the time rather than, okay, great. Um, you know, who's, uh, is the person okay? Is, is the environment okay? That should always be your, your first question. And then it's a case of, okay, well, well, tell me what happened. Let's understand what happened and let's put some, some, you know, preventative measures in place uh, but our tendency as, as human beings is to want to sort of blame someone and, and we can either we can either you know blame or we can learn and improve, but we can never do both. So in, inside of relationships, you know, getting that sort of feedback, I mean, that's gold feedback. And if we react to that, guess what? We're not going to be getting much feedback in the future. But if we at least we allow that, that feedback to come in, it may hurt our ego a little bit. So be it. You know, that's 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 just what it is. It's just our partner expressing what 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 isn't working for them, and we want to welcome that as much as it might suck because we might really enjoy that position. You know, if we go back to the the sexual example, great. Uh, you know, and like you say, you know, thank them, thank them for sharing because that's what's going to create the the safety for them to continue to share and share not only the, the things that don't work but the things that work as well. And you know it, it's it's got to exist in balance. So we've got to accept um, some of the the feedback that we may not love to hear because that's what's going to create the space for the the really good feedback to come in as well. But we we can't just we can't just hope for one. You know we can't just hope for good feedback the whole time. Yeah, man. And you hit the nail on the head with regards to blame. Like you know to to use that that same example. That, you know, as a guy, we'll either blame our partner, what's well, your fucking problem, right? For not speaking up sooner or for you, you're, there's something wrong with you because everyone else that I've done that move to, they like it. Or you blame yourself. Um, Fuck, I'm not good enough. I fucked up. Like it's, so it's a blame. It's a, you playing the blame game. And usually it's, it's both. You, you, you blame, blame each other and then blame yourself. Um, so you're hundred percent right there, man. And, and that's definitely the, the crux of the, like what's happening. And, and I'm, I'm curious then, man, like with regards to creating that safe container and creating safety within a relationship, this is a loaded question, um, but because uh, I already kind of know the answer to this, but I want to, for the listeners, um, is it a one-time thing? Do you go, hey, I've created a safe container for us now. I don't need to do this again, right? It's now safe for the rest of our life. Uh, it, like how does it how does it change from from kind of, day to day to month to month like how does safety and the creation of that kind of change over the course of a relationship yeah it, it, it's a great question and, and i think hopefully the the listeners will will agree that that it's not it's definitely not a one-off thing and and it and it requires consistency and it's we can't show up one day a certain way and then show up another day in, in you know, react one way one day and, and react a completely different way the you know the next day it's that that breaks safety. And so it's, you know, it's day in, day out. It's part of it. What And one of the, you know, if our partner's going through something and, you know, they, they, they have a, 
know, they, they'll go through their cycle, for example, and and they're feeling different ways on different days, different weeks. And one of the best questions that I found, you know, works not just for me, but for the people I've, you know, shared it with as well is to just ask your partner, what do you need to feel safe right now? And and it might it might be a hug. It might be, you know, they just need the opportunity to just vent, you know, and just speak uncommittedly and just have a space in which they can do that. Um, it could be a whole raft of different things. They might not know. Uh, but as you just asking that question shows intent that that you want to create that that safety for them and that it's okay, whatever they're going through. And you know, our our ability to to really create that no matter what's going on is is for me, it's a real reflection of how much work we've done ourselves. And you know, we we I know I certainly want my partner to be in her fullest expression. And on some days that can be this beautiful, divine, feminine goddess. And, and on another day, it might be this kind of crazy, witchy sort of wild woman. And I'm okay with that. And it, and it, takes, it takes that consistency in showing up no matter what, you know, however she's showing up. That's what creates safety on an on a ongoing day-to-day basis. That question, what do you need to feel safe right now? That's, that for me is gold right there. Um, to tie this back into industry, something you said was we're humans and we fuck up. So what about in a relationship when we maybe drop that consistency, we, we, we fuck up within the relationship? What do we do in those instances to kind of rebuild the trust, rebuild the safety and, and come back to, to each other? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. And there's been a shift in the last couple of years in industry where for a long time, the industry wanted to have zero incidents. That, that was the goal. And guess what? It, when you have a, a whole campaign around having zero incidents, things start to get hidden because no one wants to, have to you know, own up to having an incident. I've seen multiple examples of people hurting themselves and then like going and bandaging themselves up because they didn't want to be that one statistic. And there's been this shift where, with this understanding that we're going to make mistakes. You know, again, we're human beings. And so rather than safety being about the absence of events, it's more about the presence of defences. And, and it's about helping people, it sounds funny, but helping them fail safely. And so when they do fail, they're better protected from really significant outcomes. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate sort of took this as well. And, and his comment was safety is not the absence of threat, but it's about the presence of connection. You know, he looked at it from that, that relationship lens as well. And so when we do stuff up and we're going to stuff up, you know, if we, if we come into a relationship with this belief that we're never going to fight, we're not going to stuff up, you know, in the same way that industry for a long time thought, you know, zero incidents, you know, if we think that way inside a relationship and zero incidents, where things are starting, they're going to get hidden, you know, because we don't want to have that incident and it breaks connection. And so we want that similar philosophy. It's, it's not that we're going to have the absence of threat. There's going to be threats and we're going to stuff up. And so when we stuff up, how can we recover from that? And, and it's tools, it's equipping ourselves with tools like the ability to communicate, you know, consciously, um, you know, having processes that can help us do that. There's some really great resources out there that can that can help people do that. You know, how do you communicate through conflict? How do you communicate when when you know you've you've had a breakdown in in the relationship? Um, trust has been broken. How do you rebuild that? There's a number of um, yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot of resources out there, and and it's you know it's, it's certainly what I. What I help men with and my partner helps women with and, and you know, we collectively, we help couples with is how to navigate those, those times when we'd have stuffed up and we want to recover from that because we're committed to the relationship. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a 
plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. You know, I I hear my parents say this a lot, and I think it's like part of the generation um, before me. It was like, like a relationship is supposed to be work, and you should just expect there to be arguments. You should expect there to be conflict. And like, part of me is like, yes. But another part of me is like they're approaching that and they've, that mentality is coming from like the – like it's coming from the wrong space. Like it's coming from this like, oh, we're just going to have arguments and it's just going to be – we're just going to get angry at each other and we're going to resent each other and then we'll just get over it and time will heal all wounds kind of mentality, right, without really processing a lot of like what's come up for them. And so like this makes me think of um, like the reframing out of like – there's going to be incidents because we're human beings and we'll get on each other's nerves and you know, spend long enough time with someone and shit's going to bubble up. Um, but how do you have those? Um, the word that's coming to mind is like, how do you have those healthy disagreements, right? As opposed to like fiery arguments where things are said and or things are thrown or whatever it might be. Um, how can you have that like consciously navigated conflict? And um, yeah, just it's just a bit interesting to, to reflect on that as you say that like the way... Because like what you said was like, oh, I think of my parents. And then I was like, oh, actually, I don't think they have that like healthy way of framing it. I think it's framed very negatively for them. Yeah. And, and what I find really, you know, really interesting about this is it's it's the power of beliefs as well. And if, if your belief is that relationships are work, guess what? They're going to be work. And and you're either going to create that consciously. Yeah, our beliefs drive our actions and our actions drive our results. And then we have an experience of that. And there's this whole sort of you know, cycle, this belief cycle. And if, you're, if your belief about relationship is that it's work, then guess what? You're going to either consciously or unconsciously create work. And that's going to then you know, give you the, the result that relationships are work. And the, it'll reinforce that, that whole experience and reinforce the belief. So guess what? We can impact that. And, and how we impact that is... is either changing that belief, but how do we change a belief? You know, we, we impact that we get, we create a new experience. And so we have an experience, we create this experience that, that relationships can be healthy and they can be satisfying and fulfilling and loving and desire. You know, they're full of desire and, and want and, and, but we, we don't know how to do that. You know, a lot of us experienced that in the early days, but then, then, you know, they become routine and mundane. So how do we create that on a consistent basis? And it starts with that fundamental belief. You know, there's this belief around relationships that the honeymoon period lasts a certain amount of time. And then it sort of, you know, you get into a routine. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I believe the honeymoon period can be cultivated over, over long periods of time, over, over the entirety of the relationship and guess what? That drives my actions. It, it, it drives the things that I do to, to help cultivate that, whether it's date nights or, you know, giving my partner an experience that is, is that cultivation of, of the honeymoon period. So, you know, for the, the people listening, I'd, and I would check in first and foremost, what are your beliefs around relationship? And if they are that they, they're hard work and you're going to fight, it's no surprise when those things happen, right? So, yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for speaking into that, dude. And, and you know, something that that um, I usually say to guys when I talk about building trust in a relationship, which is, like we said, f- kind of fundamental and foundational to creating that safety in a relationship is, um, like, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Or if you, if you say you're not going to do something, you know, follow through and don't do that thing. You know, like, it, it, se- it sounds so simple, but, you know, we make all these little micro commitments i feel like um and then like we like i'm gonna cook dinner tonight oh fuck i forgot sorry i I didn't cook dinner or 
that's an example from my relationship just um to to speak into that um but then if like you know if we're uh, like if I, i've heard couples talk about like renovations and and putting money into like doing something up the house and it's just kind of like never done or you know um some other guys that i've worked with like are, are talking about um other things with regards to like something in their garage and they're gonna like they're, i had a guy who was building a car and he just like kept on going and then it just sent like this never-ending project and i and I said to him, I was like, man, you know, that's a that's a big commitment that you're making to like finish this this project. Where else are you making commitments and not, you know, and not not following through? I suppose. And and from there, we kind of talked about um, how that's eating away at his trust uh, or his partner's trust for him, right? Because if you say you're going to do something and then you don't do it, uh, you're kind of making that kind of promise, that micro commitment, and and. You know, it erodes over time, I suppose, if that's something that's over a long-term relationship. So um, I was wondering, does that, is that something that, that is part of like your, the, the work that you do? Oh, big time. And, and it, you're spot on in, in, the, in the word erosion and, and it, it just wears away at the integrity of that container. And you know, if, we, if we make a promise, like you say, either do it and guess what? Life also happens and sometimes we can't quite fulfill on what we're intending as soon as here's what I is a coach, you know, the people I work with, as soon as you know you're not going to be able to fulfill on a promise, communicate and communicate and say, you know, I, I said I'd pick up dinner, you know, as, as an example, I said I'd pick up dinner, this and this came up at work. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. Apologize for the, the impact, whatever impact that might have. And here's what you can count on me for. And so, look, I apologize, I'm not going to be able to get dinner you know, get home in time to prepare dinner. Um, you know, I know you were looking forward to a nice dinner. What I am going to do, I'm going to order, you know, Uber and and make sure we, you know, we've got, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, here's what you can count on me for in the future is that I'm going to make sure I've blocked out my calendar so none of these meetings that impacted me getting home in time is going to happen in the future. That That is what, keeps that trust present because you're declaring this is who I am and this is what you can count on me for at the same time being responsible for whatever impact you not fulfilling on the promise has. But when we when we don't do that and it just over time it slowly erodes away at the container and and you hear it all the time in in arguments, oh well you said you'd do this and this and, and we start bringing up the past. We, you know, we need to honor our, our integrity around our word. Our word is key. And if, if we say we're going to do something, we want to honor that. The other thing that I found, and I, I've found it recently in my, whoops, in my, in my own relationship, just knock my headphones out there, um, is that we, we've wanted to do all these things together. You know, whether it's we want to go salsa dancing or, or learn Bahasa, or I want to do this course and, and, we, we found ourselves sort of kept, kept declaring these things, but then just, just having zero capacity and zero space in, in the schedule to do it. And it, it just starts to occupy space in your mind. And we started to sort of almost build evidence that we say we're going to do stuff and we don't do it. We're already doing so much. And so rather than just let it sort of sit there and fester, let's get it down on paper and, and look at, all these things we've said we've wanted to do, let's either put them into time and, and space in our calendar when we're going to do them or put them in the sort of the one day, someday sort of pile so they're not sitting there occupying one space in our mind and two, you know, sort of building evidence that we don't do what we say we're going to do. Uh, so I, I, I tend to see that quite a bit as well. Yeah, man, that speaks directly into an experience that Edwina and I are having at the moment is we want to do these things, um, but we just keep on getting preoccupied with our little son. Uh, like, for example, we've been saying that we want to learn Spanish for pff, the whole relationship, which is five years so far, and we've never taken a class. And um, and it's there and it's there. And, and, and you're right, it's just in the back of our mind of like, we said we were going to do this. When are we going to do this? And 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 it's both. I'm kind of like waiting for her. She's waiting for me to kind of make the the uh, initiation. And um, and so this has prompted me to go out and I'm going to speak to her after this and be like, hey, let's look for a class online. Let's you know um, stop. Let's 
let's learn alongside i speak no spanish she speaks no spanish let's learn alongside our little son who's you know going to be learning at a baby pace we're going to have to learn at that pace as well um and um and kind of block out that that time because we've been wanting to do it so thanks for that reflection man because oh, um, yeah i uh, definitely need to go and do that um I, i'm curious man like we've spoken about you know as men i suppose creating safety um for our predominantly i suppose female partners um my my audience i suppose for the most part is um straight dudes uh, and so what about the the reverse of that what about women creating space or creating safety i should say to, uh for for their male partners for their men because i know i've got um women listening that have male partners um is it different it's a great question and, and the need is there for sure um and i'll maybe just speak to one thing first is that whilst a lot of what we're talking about is is certainly uh, inside the context of a heterosexual relationship, in any relationship, there's going to be this, this masculine-feminine dynamic. So, you know, whoever's taking on, even inside of a heterosexual relationship, you know, the, the female may embody more of the masculine energy. And, and as long as that's declared and, and clear, then that's absolutely fine. Um, from a, you know, from a, let's, yeah, it is. It is equally important that that our partner you know creates safety for us. It's it's just not the primary you know um, role of of the feminine. And yeah, whereas for 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 us, it, it really is. Now, I know for me, I there's times where I still need to to feel safe for me to really share again. Um, you know, we we need that that space into which to speak and and that safety that that they're not going to react and I can express whatever's you know going on for me. Again, as men, it's it, it can be harder for us to really to do that. And so, if there's one, there's no safety for us to do that. Then it's going to become even harder. So there is there is an equal importance on our partner's ability to be able to provide us with that safety as well. It's just not necessarily their their primary role, you know. For for a for a male, it's about you know that that is one of our primary roles inside of relationship. But our you know our partner needs to be able to do so as well. Mm, so uh, so you would say that like the masculine is the like creates the safety for the feminine. Yeah, is that fair to say? Yeah, fair to say. Is there a way that like can can the feminine create safety for the masculine or if like like let's let's use it like a very stereotypical example like as a as a man embodying his masculine as a woman embodying her feminine if she then starts to create that safety for him does that mean that she's slipping into her masculine energy or her masculine role or is there a way that she can stay in that feminine and be a space holder and and be that kind of safety creator for him as he stays in his masculine. She she can definitely create safety, and I'll just share a personal example that that you know happened the other night. I can't remember exactly what we're talking about, but I had an experience of of not being heard or not being met the way I would have hoped to have been, and and my automatic response was just to sort of shut down a bit, and my partner picked up on that, and and that then. And I said, look, I just, I just didn't have the experience that you listened to me then. And she said, great, you know, I apologize for that. I'm present. What, what do you need right now? And, and reestablish that, that safety into which, you know, that I could then speak into. So, um, yeah, can, can the feminine really, you know, can she create the safety inside a relationship? Absolutely. It, it's just, it needs to be acknowledged and declared if that's the role she's going to take on. Um, I, in, I know for, you know, for, for most dynamics, it's, it's really the man's role to, to do that and to really allow her to be her fullest expression and, and embodiment of, of, of her femininity. Um, but it can certainly play out the other way around. Her doing that, me providing safety for her to be fully self-expressed, then gives me the space to be in my fullest expression and really step into to my power as well. Yeah, yeah. I, something I, I often say 
just in general, but to men in particular is like, it's not like your partner's not your therapist, you know, your partner is your partner. Um, and so there's, you know, uh, and, and you know, there's things that you, you know, might be feeling and you might say to your partner, like, look, I'm feeling a lot of shit right now. Um, it's not your responsibility to, to, to handle that. Like I've got to go and speak to a counselor. I've got to go speak to a therapist. I've got to go speak to my men's group. That's for them to hold, um, not for you. And, um, but I think that acknowledgement of like, Hey, I'm feeling some shit, but I'm going to go and do something about this. You know, it's not, it's not for you to hold, just know that I'm doing something about it and that I'm, I'm going through some shit. And, um, and, yeah, and so that that's a that's definitely a dynamic that that I think is quite beneficial and quite healthy is like being able to like take your take your emotions and um, again regulate them, but regulate them with someone who's outside of your relationship. You don't have to burden your partner with everything that's that's kind of going on. And um, yeah, and I think that speaks into into what it is that you're you're sharing. Is that kind of do you see how that ties in? Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah, there, there's. Modern relationships, we we tend to have so many expectations on the different roles that that our partner plays, and and sometimes you know therapist becomes one of them, um, and sometimes that works, oftentimes it doesn't, and so like you say, having that that external resource, you know, network that we can call on, whether whether it is a therapist or it's a you know a, a men's group, what, whatever that is. Um, you know, it, it, that's, it's a much healthier way so that we don't, you know, we're not burdening our, our partners and, and expecting things of them that they may not be able to provide. Yeah, yeah. I am just mindful of time with regards to the podcast, man. And, you know, we touched on a couple of things here. I'm, I'm just big on practicality. So I want to give some people some takeaways to go and do. And so to like sum up the, the, um, the key points with regards to like what you can do to create safety in your relationship. We spoke about tapping into your own emotions and just being like, just being aware of the fact that you fucking have emotions as a guy, like that's a, that's a big thing. Um, learning how to regulate those, there's heaps of resources. Um, and um, I think, whose who's book were you talking about with regards to emotional regulation? Daniel Goldman, Emotional Goldman. Intelligence. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. Um, and then we spoke about um, staying true to your word just a super practical example, man. I just love that as a thing. Um, it's very easy to take away. Um, asking your partner what they need, right? Yeah. What, do, what do you need from me right now? Um, what do you need to feel safe? What can I yeah. do? Um, uh, receive feedback, say thank you. And um, try not to take it personally. I know that's easier said than done. Um, let's close down with uh, just some, some more practicality things, man. What's, what's one or two extra things that you have found are really powerful things that people can implement like today or at least try to implement to, to help create that safety in a relationship? Yeah. So I think there's five sort of main points for me. One, one is consistency, you know, show up consistently. Um, so we, we spoke about that. Two is, is doing the inner work, you know, doing, dealing, doing, doing the work to whether it's heal your own childhood wounds, you know, wh- whatever it is, and wherever you find yourself sort of reacting or projecting onto your partner is, is typically an, an indication that there's some sort of wound there. So, you know, work with a therapist, work, you know, if you're not part of a men's group, you know, man, listen to this, and you're not part of a men's group, join a local men's group, um, Mankind Project, when if there, that's in your area, there was a great resource for me, sort of started my uh, journey into, into men's work. Um, another big one is take the lead. You know, there, as much as we're in a modern society and, and female empowerment, the, the feminine still loves to be led. And so if you're not doing that, you know, date nights, you know, at least once a month and, and create that experience that can cultivate the, the feeling of that honeymoon period over the long term. Um, Emotional intelligence, we, we, we talked about that. And, and the other thing I'd look at is what are your beliefs around relationship? Uh, because that's, that's going to fundamentally drive you know, a lot of your behaviours and actions and consequently the results you're getting inside of those relationships. So those are the areas that, that I'd you know, start and go to, look, go to work on. Nice one, man. Thank you so much, dude, for um, 
yeah, just speaking openly, candidly, um, vulnerably about you know, your own relationship and your own work. I, I really appreciate it, dude. And so much valuable takeaways for some men listening or just for people listening, I suppose. So, um, yeah, thanks for that, dude. I appreciate you. You're most welcome, Cam. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks, dude. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.